Here we are. Message, message 12. Through the book of Hebrews. A couple weeks back, we looked at the first four verses of chapter 5, where it talked about God had given to Israel the ceremonial law of God and a priesthood in order to carry out sacrifices and worship in the temple of God as a way for dealing with sin. But the problem was that the high priest, though chosen by God out of the line of Levi and Aaron, was a sinful man who had to make offerings not just for the people but for himself. So he was not an unblemished priest. He was a sinner in need of grace himself. Now, in verses 5 to 11, actually, Kurt read an extra verse. That's okay. It doesn't hurt. Um, but from 5.11, the author of Hebrews talks to us about how God, instead of choosing mere men to be priests to represent him, that God chose a perfect high priest. And that high priest is his son, Jesus Christ. So, uh, very simply, the proposition here, God chose for his people the perfect high priest to mediate the dispute of sin. To mediate the new covenant. To intercede on our behalf. Again, there's an outline. The same outline I have. So you can take notes if you wish. So the problem is. If the priest of. Levi and Aaron were not satisfactory. They were sinners. How can God rectify that problem once and for all and give us a priest qualified to represent humanity and at the same time represent a holy God. The only option that could be done is that God the Father chose His Son, His eternal Son, to be our priest. So in verse 5, so also Christ did not glorify Himself to become high priest. But it was said of him. You are my son. Today. I have begotten me. So notice. The first thing is. The son did not. Say one day. Father. I think I'll go to earth. And do something spectacular. And I'll get over honor and glory as a great king and priest. This is my plan. No, the Son of God was not looking to glorify himself. He had glory as the Son of God. 
but he's also submissive to the will of his father. So, in God's eternal counsel, sometime in the past of eternity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, the three persons counseled on how they might plan redemption for this human race who would fall in the sin. How might they do that? God the Father planned this plan to send the Son to be the Savior. The Son came in His perfect life and His redeeming work, His active obedience, His passive obedience to complete the work of God. So the Father's plan is accomplished in the person and work of Jesus. Then God the Spirit takes that redemption and applies it to our hearts to make alive those who are dead in Christ that they might by faith be saved. So the triune God working to save God's people and that by God's grace includes us today thousands of years later now Jesus submits to the the will of the Father He chose to submit because he's a good and obedient son, not a disobedient son. Sometimes on 69th Street, we meet Muslims who say to us, see, Jesus was submissive. So he was a good Muslim. That's not what this is teaching. Jesus willingly humbled himself, did not take honor for himself to obey his father, but he's still the son of God with all the attributes of the Godhead. But God the Father said to him, quoting here, Psalm 2, You are my son. Today I have forgotten you. This declaration in the Jewish scriptures, this Psalm of David, you are my son. Now, he's not a man yet. He's not incarnate yet. He's not called Jesus yet. But the Son of God exists as the one and only begotten of the Father. Now again, it's easy to misunderstand the word begotten. We sometimes think that we use the term this father begot a child at a certain point in time and space. But this is really the Greek word mono 
which means basically the Son of God is the same essence and substance as the Father. Co-equal, co-eternal. You are my son. In other words, you are God also, but a distinct person. I am the Father. You are the Son. The Jehovah's Witnesses get this wrong. See, they say Jesus was a son, but not equal to the Father. For example, Mark has a son named Ben. He's subject to Mark. He's submissive because Mark is his father. But he's not a lesser being of a different race because he's his son. He's equal as a human being, but in a different status. Jesus is equal to the Father, united to the Father. I and the Father are one, but Jesus obeys the plan of the Father for the redemption of God's people. You are my son today, the psalmist says. And the author quotes that. And then in verse 6, in another place, he quotes Psalm 110 about the son the unlimited God. You, my son, are a priest forever according to the order or tribe of Melchizedek. Not of the tribe of Levi or Aaron, which is the line God established for ministry in the Old Testament system. But God is saying, for the new covenant, I have a new priest from a different order. He's a priest like Melchizedek. And he's a priest not for a little while, but forever. Brothers and sisters, Jesus ascended to the right hand of God is still the priest for his people today, for you and I. He still prays. He still intercedes. He's still our advocate, our defense attorney. In Psalm 110, the psalm opened by the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make all the enemies on earth to be your footstool. And basically, that's saying, Yahweh said to Adonai, Sit at the right hand, your rightful position, until everything is conquered and your kingdom is sure. And all my enemies, kings, man, demons, Satan, are crushed 
And so, God the Father chooses this priest. Not after Levi, because they were fallible, sinful men. God recognized to save mankind. I need a spotless, sinless lamb. I need a qualified, perfect priest. That's after Melchizedek. That's Jesus. We read Genesis 14 about Melchizedek, king of Salem. That is the ancient city of Jerusalem. Salem, the city of peace. He was a priest in that city of God. And he came to worship God when Abraham defeated the other kings. Abraham recognized his priesthood, his leading in worship, and gave tithes and offerings in honor of God to Melchizedek. Confusion arises because we don't know the history of Melchizedek or his lineage. Some have speculated, speculated this was an appearance of the Son of God. I think it's probably this is just a godly man that Moses did not tell us much about. But he's a priest serving God. Abraham recognized that. A thousand years later, David recognizes that the Son of God on the right hand throne of power is a priest like Melchizedek forever. So God chose Jesus to do the work necessary to accomplish redemption. It wasn't Jesus saying, I have a good idea. So I'll be rich and famous. No. All three persons planned, accomplish, apply redemption for a lost race. Because God is compassionate and merciful and slow in his wrath. He could have destroyed us all. He could have killed Adam and Eve in an instant. But that was God's plan. Ephesians 2 said, He chose us in Christ, in this priest, before He made the heavens and the earth. Now, the next section, verses 8 to 11, what we have here is the perfected priest of God perfects our redemption and salvation. Verse 7, when in the days of his flesh, that is, when Jesus, the Son of God, is a man living on earth, Galatians 4 said, born of a woman, under the law of God. During that period of 
curses up. When he offered up prayers and supplications, was not Jesus a man of prayer? Did he not give us the example of how to pray? He prayed to his father to do his father's will. And uh, did he not cry to his father in the garden? Can this great cup of suffering be taken away? Perhaps the silent answer, no. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. Jesus, as a man, is thoroughly humbled. Philippians 2 said, He left behind his position and glory to be made for a little while lower than angels. <clears throat> now, he prayed to him who was able to save him, but it was the Father's will to put Jesus on the cross. Sometimes people ask us. Sometimes it's a trick question. Who killed Jesus? They don't want us to say it was the Jews. Say you're anti-Semitic. Say something else. What well, are Jewish leaders had a part, didn't they? But so did the Romans. Pilate and the soldiers, but then so did people in the crowd who said, give us Barabbas, crucify Jesus. So did the high priests and the priests. And so did, so did you and I. Cause our sins put Jesus on the cross. Jesus allowed himself in his passive obedience to suffer the cross. He had the strength, the power to say no. But he obeyed because it was the will of his father. He was heard because of his godly fear. God the Father, for three days, abandoned his son to the depths of hell. But, as bad as that was, separated from the Father, under the crushing weight of bearing sin, taking the wrath of God that we deserve. But God did not forget his son, his priest forever, and raised him from the dead. Friday came, but so did Sunday. And Christ is alive. The tomb is empty. Christ was seen by many and declared to be the Son of God through the resurrection. Now verse 8 tells us something important about the work 
of the sun. It says here that lo, he was the sun, the son of God, that yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. This is hard to understand. Why does the Son of God have to learn obedience? Was he disobedient? Did he have to like clean up his life? Turn over a new leaf? Well, let me suggest to you that the Son of God was impeccable. He was the perfect Son. But as a man under the law, he had to, so to speak, learn how to obey. That is, practice obedience at many levels. To his mother, Mary, as a child, as a boy, to his earthly father, Joseph, you know, how disobedient children can be. We learn that pretty young, don't we? We learn to stomp our feet and say, no. And in Romans 1, in that list of sin patterns, Paul says, disobedience to parents. Jesus practiced obedience to his parents. He practiced obedience to Jewish leaders and elders in the synagogue and in the temple. He practiced obedience even the Roman authorities. Notice that Jesus spoke truth to Herod, excuse me, to Pontius Pilate. He didn't really speak to Herod, but he did dismiss Herod and mock him as a puppet king. He's submissive to even a godless king. He's submissive to the Roman authority because it's the will of his father. Jesus learned and modeled obedience under the law of God. That means every day Jesus obeyed all Ten Commandments. The positive aspects of what you're to do and the negative aspects of what not to do. And 100% of the time with the right reason and the right motive and not stomping his feet, saying, okay, I don't like it, but I'll do it. The story's told about a father who was disciplining his seven-year-old daughter. And he told her, sit down and be still. No. Sit down and be still. No. Finally, he 
Sit down. Sit down. Be quiet. Be still. And she crosses her arms and she says, I'm sitting down on the outside, but inside, I'm standing up and running around. That's human nature, isn't it? Sometimes we obey out of fear and duty, but not because of love. But Jesus obeyed, modeled obedience, every point of the law, every day, with the right reasons, because he loved his father with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. Jesus, the only person in history who's not an idolater. It's not given of love of self, love of money, or love of pleasure. And he loves his neighbor very well. How compassionate Jesus was. Practicing obedience to those two great commandments. Now, he had to do that. Because if he fail, he's not an unblemished lamb. He's not a qualified priest. If he disobeyed, if he gave in to the temptations of Satan and society and the world and his flesh, he disqualifies his priesthood. So this perfect priest practices his perfection and therefore perfects for us redemption. He says in the next verses. But I want you to get this idea. Are we not to be like Christ? Are we not to model Christ? Are we not to obey, obey and walk with Christ? So if Christ practiced obedience under the law, are not you and I, his people, to willingly want to practice obedience? To obey our Lord and Savior, our Father in heaven. Not out of mere duty, not out of fear, but because of what He's done for us in His mercy. Jesus modeled obedience. So, if we're united to Jesus by faith, we should model obedience also. But we know we don't. We break God's commandments. So the answer is, God's Spirit and God's Word shows you. You confess it. You repent of it. You believe the Gospel. 1 John chapter 2 said, I write these 
things, little children, so that you may not sin. But if you do sin, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. And you have the advocate, the mediator, between you and your father. But if Jesus modeled obedience for us to be holy, for us to be Christ-like, to be filled with the Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit, is to obey like Christ obeyed. Not to gain salvation. Not to say, look God, I'm doing pretty good. You should put me on your team. You should put me into your family. Because I'm better than other people. No, it's it's not obedience to merit salvation. It's obedience to be like Christ. To be pleasing to God the Father. To be filled with the Spirit. So, we have to search our attitudes, our actions, our motives, our words and deeds. Am I being Christ-like? What do I need to stop doing? Because I love Christ. What do I need to start doing? Because I love Christ. Now, uh, he said, verse 9, because Christ practiced obedience, he's perfected. Now, he was perfect, but he shows his perfection. He stays perfected because he obeyed. All levels of authority, including his father. And because he does that, it says he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Who saves us? The triune God through the work of this perfect priest. An eternal salvation that his people do not lose. God the Son loses none of the Father's elect because his work is sufficient and perfect and good. But he says he has this perfect priest is the offer of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Who gets eternal life? Those who obey Jesus. Wait a minute. Are we having to work it? Does that mean a little bit of Jesus and a lot of me? Does that mean I I confess Jesus and then I have to go through purgatory? Or I have to do all these works? No. The perfect priest gained it all for his people. But, you and I 
are still called the show where believers were disciples of Christ because we obey our Lord, our Master, because He saved us. He loves us. He's our priest. Because the tree is to bear the fruits of repentance. We can't say, I'm a Christian, but I refuse to repent and obey Jesus and listen to the Spirit. So many people in our culture want eternal life but not to be an obedient, fruitful disciple. I challenge you, think about that today, this week. Do I want to stay stuck in a disobedient pattern and not bear fruit. That's a dangerous position. In the parable of the sower, Jesus said, some people hear the word of God, like it for a bit, and then fall away when there's trouble. Some people like the word of God, but the ways of the world choke it out. And they do nothing for my kingdom. But we should be the good soil that bears forth 30, 60, 100 fold. Because what are we? We're branches grafted into the true vine. According to John 15. And because you and I are in Christ, if we abide with Christ, Jesus said, you will bear fruit even much fruit. And so, the perfect priest perfects salvation. The author and finisher of eternal redemption for his people who obey him. Now, one more thought about obedience. Not everybody who hears about Jesus, who hears the preaching of the word, will obey him. Did not Jesus say to Nicodemus, you must be what? Born again. Is that, is that not a command? An imperative? You must be born again. Every human being to enter the kingdom of God must be born again. But we can't do it. Only the Holy Spirit makes us alive makes us to be born again. But still, the movement of the Spirit produces faith and repentance. And for someone to say, I will not repent. I will not believe on Christ. 
not obedience to faith in eternal life. The Apostle Paul in Acts 17 preaching to all those great philosophers said explaining the gospel said God allowed you times of ignorance but now God is commanding every man everywhere to repent and believe on Jesus Christ the gospel call goes forth when someone hears it the word of God by faith the response is to repent that is turned from sin. Call upon the name of the Lord. That is, believe in your mind and heart. Confess with your mouth and you will be saved. But many people will not do that. And Jesus said, when the word of God is preached, the weeds choke out some. Some falls on rocks. Some falls on a hard path. Satan snatches it. And they fall in the sin. So as we hear the word of God, we should respond with repentant and obedient hearts because we're following or modeling Christ. Paul said, imitate me because I imitate Christ. Well, briefly, the author reminds us this high priest it's not like Aaron or Levi, sinners, but a righteous priest. He's more like Melchizedek. We don't have space to talk about Melchizedek, he says. I could say more. That's all you need to know. What you need to know. Jesus is the forever priest of God. The priest that God the Father chose. On our period, eternal behalf. <sighs> he kind of rebukes them. I can't say anymore. Because he all or dull of hearing. Wasn't that the way many Jewish people were? Stiff-necked and dull. How quickly Galatian believers, many of them Jewish background, gave heed to the word of the Judaizers. And Paul said, don't do it. Don't start in the, in the spirit. Go back to the law. There's nothing else to say about Jesus right here. <clears throat> the rest of the book of Hebrews, chapter upon chapter, going to unpack the priesthood, the work of the priest Jesus, the mediator of the covenant. By God's grace, we'll learn more in these coming months. Keep reading Hebrews. So I encourage you 
Hebrews chapter 5 and 6. And I encourage you, there's only one priest of God between us and God, between sinful man and holy God. Only one mediator, Jesus. I encourage you in your obedience to abide with, follow Jesus on a day-by-day -day basis. And also, the last action point. If Jesus is the only priest, the only Savior, then preach Jesus. Bear witness of Jesus. The world loves darkness and not the light. But Jesus is the light of the world. But how shall they hear? And thus we bear witness. And thus we preach. You see, the world wants another way. But Buddha can't do it. Confucius can't do it. Charles Russell can't do it. Joseph Smith can't do it. Muhammad can't do it. Only Jesus. So, we must obey Jesus by following Jesus. And Jesus said, if you follow me, I will make you fishers of men. Kurt, could you pray for us, please? Thank you. Truly, Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the high priest. Thank you, Lord, that you are our high priest. You are a king. You are a prophet. But you are also our elder brother. Lord, give us the mind to continue to be obedient to the word, and we thank you for the preached word. We thank you that we hide in our hearts, Lord, and follow you, that you will make us fishers of men. Thank you for joy, and thank you for your preparedness.